right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Straight Talking English bonus anniversary month special. Woo! This is my thank you present to everyone who has listened over the last year. Thank you so much for turning what was basically a slightly ranty conversation about how I should start a podcast into an actual thing. Thank you very much. So I am Catherine, SCR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com, YouTube, slash straighttalkingenglish, Patreon, slash straighttalkingenglish, full context series on Amazon. Search it up, there will be a poetry one soon. And I've got to tell you the story behind this interview. So the really, really awesome dude who... I'm going to be talking to is a guy called Paul Lyles, who is a poet, performance poet, Roald Dahl Museum person, worked with war veterans on poetry, worked as prison poet, awesome, all this cool stuff happening. I could not wait to talk to him and share that all with you. So we arranged to meet in Borough Market. I show up with my laptop and my mic and it's just trains, train noise everywhere. I was like, oh no, my mic's good, it's not that good, peeps. It's a blue snowball I'm using, by the way, it's actually really good. So we went down a little bit, Southwark Cathedral, and there was security people, we had to actually go through a church, it was like, no, we're not going to do that. So we ended up sat by the river by the um, Golden Hind, and it was nice and quiet, we start recording, and then they start doing building work behind us, and then in the true spirit of anarchy, a school trip shows up. So I'm telling you this, because I just want you to appreciate the professionalism of both myself and my interview subject, and also apologise for um, the audio, because at some bits, it gets a little bit backgroundy. Do not worry, it is not work happening in your home or on the bus wherever you are it is the background noise but again it's kind of a testament to how good my mic is so let's have mr paul lyles introduce himself and how he got started on his poetry journey hi everybody my name's paul paul lyles i'm a poet and a writer i do performances i have books out there and i do lots of school work visits classrooms school assemblies uh, all those classics, that's me. I think I just liked, as a kid, being creative. I liked words, I liked writing. Uh, I love books, I love trying to say stuff, make my friends laugh. And that kind of always stayed with me. And then I went as a mature student to North London Poly, uh, now the Metropolitan. And I did a poetry unit, partly because I thought it'd be easier. I'm not the most academic person. I mean, sometimes the writing you know, only goes halfway across the page. So I thought it'd be less to read. And uh, I then got really into it, saw a poster for a poetry gig, went to it, got totally hooked and started taking my word out on the road. And one thing leads to another. It's one of the most flexible of the art forms. It's doable anywhere. Uh, It's instantly shareable. Um, It's good for your spirit and soul. You don't need fancy equipment. So even if you're on the most shoestring of budgets, you can just get a paper and a pencil from anywhere. You can do it, it can help you get your feelings out and um, it's got a vibrant community around it and there are gigs and openings and possibilities and it's just a great thing to be involved. It helps you find your voice. Speaking of finding your voice, 
How do you get young people into poetry? One response is, is to hit them with maybe some poetry that's from this day and age. We quite, quite often a lot of approaches involve taking stuff in that's from another time, using another language and situations that no longer exist, you know, as much as I love the highwayman. Um, and then another approach is that really works is a blank page is very terrifying to somebody. So a, f a few initial steps and starting points and sparks, especially if they're in favor of what you're into and they give the possibility for you to tap into something that you're into and about, that will get it going. I always try to start with a whole school assembly just to show how much fun it can be, that it's just as entertaining um, as a movie, as a Premier League football game, whatever it is you're into, and get get the masses on board, joining in, laughing, having a good time, having unexpected things flying into their ears. Um, as that's my that's one of my cornerstones for for starting these things up. And what were your memories of studying poetry at school? Well. I don't have many memories of it, to be honest with you, partly because I don't think it was done in that exciting a way. So it hasn't really stayed with me. Whereas, you know, it sort of nowadays when I meet people, um, young people, they say, oh yeah, we had a poet come in, we had this guy come in, we had that come in. I don't remember this happening at all much in, in my school days. I don't really have any sort of, you know, there's one or two teachers who made it happen a little bit for me, but largely, you know, it was all about spelling and this and that and stuff more than anything else. Why do you think a lot of children and teachers don't really like poetry? It is upsetting because then they, they, you know, unfortunately one of the things probably holding sort of poetry back or people's just enjoyment of being a writer back at school is that it's often kind of made to feel a bit like maths and geography that there has to be things it has to have, it has to do this. So it's quite often seen as not the most creative of, um, you know, it's kind of got this slight stigma going on. And then in the true spirit of straight talking English, I asked Paul what it was like being a performance poet and we ended up digressing and talking about the specials. Oh, it's, it's fantastic again. I mean, the, it's, 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 you know, it's a vibrant format. It, it competes with all the other stuff that's going up there, the comedy, the drama. Um, you know, poetry comes alive in these intimate spaces and there's all these innovative shows and stuff happening and you take that experience back with you into the classroom. I mean, if you can work an audience at Edinburgh, you can work your toughest kids in Coventry. And I have. I, I used to live in Coventry. Ling Hall. No, I Ooh, live... Ooh, do you know Ling Hall? I don't know Ling Hall. Well, whenever I met anybody who lived in Coventry, they go, wow, you went to Ling Hall? I love you, Ling Hall, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but they go, wow, you went to... You what? You did You did three months at Ling Hall? Wow. Wait, Great kids. Is it, is I, I want to go back tomorrow. I think that's now President Kennedy. I think it's oh, President Kennedy. Why did they rename it that, of all things? Um, I think it's supposed to be like aspirational. You could be it, like JFK. I'm not sure if that's a, quite an aspiration that I want, but isn't it more relevant for Coventry, which is the home of Scar? Shouldn't they shouldn't have they just recall it the, the specials or something like that? Or? I, I, two-tone. Yes, two-tone school. I would go, yeah, I'd go to two-tone. I would work in Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since we were Scar guy. Uh, no, not particularly. No, but I, you know, it's def definitely was one of the sort of overlap genres of my, of my era when it all happened. Yeah. So not totally Scar, more punk really, but I did like Scar. So how does 
poetry in prison work. Yeah, I've been to quite a few prisons, maximum security, open prisons. And again, that's a really nice release outlet. I've done it in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's just to get people to write. Sometimes there's been a specific brief to get people to write for their kids. So a lot of dads inside, you know, don't get any contact. How can they do something that's going to maybe make a bit of an impression? So I get them to write a little poem for their kids. You know, because I think one of the first rules of being creative with poetry is it's not about spellings. All that gets sorted out afterwards. You know what I mean? I show them, I show them my scratchy handwriting. I misspell things deliberately on the board even just to get the idea across. It doesn't matter. Somebody will point out you spelled that wrong. I say that's, it doesn't matter. It's just about the ideas. Get the ideas down. Somebody will come along and sort it out. Maybe yourself. Or if you get to my position, maybe someone will do it for you. Even better. Who was also the first poet to perform at Wembley Stadium? Yay, the glam end. Um, yeah, I was very lucky to be poet in residence for the London Borough of Brent, uh, London's fifth coolest borough. And uh, part of the brief was I did the libraries, I did the scores, but yeah, we did some workshops and performances in Wembley Stadium. It was amazing. It actually got me into the Guinness Book of Records as being the first poet to perform at the new Wembley Stadium. Got me two records. The second record is for the smallest ever audience at the new Wembley Stadium. Another string to Paul's bow is that he was the Roald Dahl Museum's poet in residence. That was a brilliant um, opportunity, brilliant experience. Again, it was amazing. Something that Roald Dahl wanted was for, um, in his legacy, was to, that would be a writer um, in Buckinghamshire. Um, that was funded by his estate, um, the museum, to go out into schools to put on events and performances and to get kids and families being creative and to get them writing again um, and to enjoy doing stuff with words. So that was, I went to some great schools. Um, in fact, I had such a good, in fact, it was such a good project and it made such an impact that some of the schools, I was sent in for six weeks or something like that, but some of the schools just kept me on afterwards. It was amazing. So I, end, I ended up, I ended up sort of doing a, doing a whole year pretty much, um, more than a year in, in um, Buckinghamshire around there. And in fact, you know, in fact, I like Buckinghamshire so much. I'm thinking of seriously buying it. So, Paul, what do you know about the GCSE anthology poems? Yes. Partly because I've taught, I've been on one or two projects, so the brilliant Enfield Town Schools Partnership, for instance, um, who do amazing stuff. Um, what part, once I was working with them and a secondary school, wanted to tap into the project and um, I went in to help teach some of the war or to put a perspective on the uh, some of the war poetry that's in there because I, I did spend a year again as a poet in, in res- a great war poet working with the uh, the rifles in Reading well I, well I can really show it's, which is quite relevant and it's strange how things don't change so in exposure one of the themes is it's about waiting it's about the slow passing of time and just kind of like hanging around and being there and when I when I when I worked um, with the with the rifles in Reading working with current serving soldiers who'd been to Afghanistan that theme again cropped up in some of their work in fact one of them wrote a poem about the army teaches you to wait it is really cool one of the things that you learn as a soldier is to wait but to wait in a certain constant state of readiness but waiting is all apparently well, I'm, I, you know I'm gauging it's always been a theme that waiting is very relevant well I think what's really interesting about Charge of the Light Brigade is 
again there's um, that poet that, that sort of writer's um, sort of technique um, if you like that, that writer's um, ability to not be there but yet to write something that's as, a, as if they were there so that poem is obviously um, you know he's not there he wasn't there and it's largely based on newspaper reports hence uh, which again you know it hence explains a lot of the um, repetition that's used because they only had so much to go on uh, and then also the sort of slightly positive spin that's put on it when it's clearly a massive military national disaster and blunder but because he's the official poet for the army at the time I think or the government he was about to be laureate but I think he had a sort of quite prominent sort of official so he, he takes a very positive and if you look at this the, the, the criticism is very faint of the orders someone blundered <laughs> you know when you look at the numbers who, who, who it's more than half I think it's like it's a massive amount of people and they're very futile you know which didn't, which didn't even serve as a warning for, for 1914 really neither so no one learnt from it I think it's Modern, modern warfare, modern combat happens in, in a different way um, and it was interesting when I worked with soldiers they often were able to draw on, on a whole range of well there was still the element of how much are they missed family and connections there was also, they wrote a lot about the bond that they share which was quite, inter which was quite powerful which was quite moving as well and one guy, I remember one guy wrote a, a, a poem about how he was in Afghanistan in an under fire situation, kind of trapped in a in a kind of slightly exposed place while his wife was having a baby, and that was happening at the same time. And his and and his comrades kind of risked running a special field telephone to him to speak to her, as in under fire. And he only saw the first picture of his child three days later, which was a fax. And I, and I think we forget these kind of things, really. Now, what's interesting is the comradeship between soldiers doesn't seem to come up in the war poems, but it was something that Paul experienced when working with veterans. I think there is, it's definitely there. I definitely sensed it and felt that they really felt for each other and pulled for each other. And they talk about the... the in one poem that another soldier wrote about unlimited brothers it is it's quite moving stuff really unlimited brothers and it, and then you know the kind of like funnier side to it as well like having to share a bucket of water you know one between two but yet the other guy uses it all up but you still love him all right i could not meet up with paul lyles and not ask him about one of my favorite bands growing up the libertines who he had the pleasure of supporting as a poet and if you do not know the libertines pause this now google can't stand me now listen to it in full and then come back to this yay, yay. <laughs> the libertines that was cool i mean so obviously like any band they, they they have a starting point and i think they had a residency in a in a pub in clarkenwell uh, called Filthy McNasties, which was a great yeah. pub. Um, Alan Ginsberg actually performed there at one point in his life, and um, and I kind of vaguely knew Pete from the poetry scene. I used to I used to run a poetry night in Camden. Pete came down to it, so I did the Libertines, and then one night he just said to me, "Would you like to be? We're doing a night. We're doing a gig. Um, would you like to be on part of it? You know?" I said, "Yeah." I said, uh, "I said how much?" 
<laughs> and he said, Paul, I'll probably get you 25 quid. And I said, that's cool. And it, and it was a brilliant night. They were amazing. It was a great atmosphere in the place. But I didn't really notice anyone paying to get in or anything like this. And I thought, how does this, how does this play out? And then, you know, there's, there's this great, you know, Pete, there's another, there's a great side to Pete where he, he, is, he is a lovely guy. And um, I did notice at the end, towards the end of the night, I saw him walking around the audience with a pint glass, asking for contributions. People were putting in their 50p's and their pound coins. And when he'd finished, he came up to me, he gave me the pint glass and said, Paul, I think there's about 25 quid in there. I took, I took it home, pint glass and all, and when I counted it, there was about £32.60. So Pete, if you're listening, I owe you £7.60. Alright, final thought, and I would be remiss as an English professional if I did not ask this. What are your thoughts, children, reading, how do we do it, why is it important? We know reading's important. It's massive. Books books are essential. Um, You know, it's words. And and at the end of the day, um, they are the connection between all of us. It's it's, it's always been the connection between all of us. Always. You know, words... words, I I wrote a poem all about it. I mean, I was happy to send it to you. Um, I will read it to you. Um, Words are essential. You know, that's, that's the one thing we have. You take that away, you take away that this whole kind of like coming togetherness of societies of, 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 of the world, really. You know what I mean? So read, 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 give them books, give them, you know, words, words, words. So, Paul, anything that you want to tell the fine people out there that are you guys listening, the fine people of the internet and straight talking English land? Well, I would like to tell them that I've got a brand new book out, which is called A Funny Thing Happened, published by Caboodle Books, available from all good sources. And just harking back to what I said earlier on, we are words. They're meaning, they're dreaming, the message they're streaming. We use them to shape our lives as bribes, to make enemies and allies. We use them to find our tribes. We are words. Their story, their song, they define right and wrong. Always on the tip of your tongue, we pin them to the page. We read them to be amazed. We are words. They connect us, correct us, make us find one another. Yes, they collect us. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, a lie, a promise, a trust. We are words. We dance with them through time. They are our partners in rhyme. Cool, cruel or kind. The stitching in our storyline. The eloquent ties that bind. We are words. So that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to another one of my anniversary spectaculars. Anniversary month! You knows it. Massive, massive thank you to Paul for taking the time out to come on my little old podcast. And we are old now because it's the anniversary. Another mad props I would like to give out is to the Poetry Society. They have been placing poets in schools for 50 years. If you are in a school for whatever reason, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a student, maybe you are just a really 
really involved lunch person. <laughs> I was going to say dinner lady, but can you say dinner man? I don't know. I'm going to Google that. If you would like a poet to come into your school, give them bell education admin at poetrysociety.org.uk. If you go poetrysociety.org.uk slash education, you can get lesson plans, competitions, all kind of good business that will make the practice of studying these lengthy bad boys of AQA anthology a little bit nicer if not a whole lot nicer so thank you very very much mad props the next interview coming out will be with caleb another delight to talk to so as ever str8talkenglish.com no str8talkenglish on twitter oh my days i've been doing this for a year and you wouldn't have believed it straighttalkingenglish.com YouTube, search up Straight Talking English. There are some fab videos which I have made and you can look at my face. Amazon, the full context series. I have had a breakthrough since starting to edit this and finishing it. So we're actually getting somewhere on that. And I think that's everything I do. Patreon. All right. Catch you uh, pretty darn soon for a little bit more bonus content. And have a lovely week. (laughs) 